Amen. Well, like Sage says, I'm Pastor Jack. No, just kidding. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as you can see, we are having some technical difficulties. So you get to have the blue man preach at you this morning. So this is awesome. So praise the Lord. All right. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 6. We're going to continue our study through the gospel of Luke. Um, and so get your Bibles open there. Luke chapter Six. About 12, uh, I would say probably 12 years ago, I think it was like 2009, 2010, uh, I was probably 10 years into my walk with Jesus, uh, faithful Baptist at church every single Sunday, serving every single Sunday. I was a, a believer of Jesus and I was involved, like I was, uh, again, like at church, but in the seat, right? Like sometimes the pastor was a little boring, so I had to prop my eyes open with toothpicks just to be able to listen to what he was saying and all that. But, but I was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ 10 years ago. Uh, and I was involved in a 20-somethings group that was being led out of this church. Some of you guys have been here uh, long enough to remember Jeremy Clark. Jeremy led a 20-somethings group way back then, and uh, I was joining. I was, in, I was a part of that group, and uh, Jeremy decided he was going to take a group of these 20-somethings to New York City to like preach the gospel on the streets and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and I was one of those 10 guys. I was one of those 10, 20-somethings that Jeremy took to New York City. Now, I don't know uh, if you know anything about me, but I am an introvert, right? Like grew up in this tiny little town. Like for me to go to New York City and preach the gospel and hand out peanut butter and jellies on the streets was like crazy. Like who does that? But well, I don't do that, right? Like, like, like I, I'm not gonna, like, like, whatever. But I did it, right? So I went to New York City and had that experience. And uh, the last day before we were supposed to leave, they tell us, all right, we got this one last ministry, right? You've been serving peanut butter and jellies out on the street. You've been preaching the gospel to the homeless, right? You've been serving in the soup kitchens. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna go onto a subway car, and you're going to preach the gospel on the subway car. And I said, absolutely not. Not going to happen. I am not going to preach the gospel on a subway car. I am not a preacher. Right? Like, I might be a faithful follower of Jesus, but I am not a preacher. And I am definitely not going to embarrass myself in the middle of New York City on a subway car trying to tell somebody about Jesus. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, ain't going to do it. Right? And that sentiment was only fortified as I walked onto the subway car and they had posters plastered all over the place. And it's like, hey, this is how you know if somebody's got like a piece in their hoodie. Well, this is, what, this is what it looks like if someone's trying to pull a, a knife out to like shank you with it. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, like I'm walking onto the subway car thinking to myself, man, I, I'm going to try to get onto this thing uh, uh, so that nobody knows that I'm with this group of people over here. Right? I'm just going to get in. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to ride this thing. I'm going to watch everybody else get killed and murdered and made fun of. Uh, but I ain't going to do it, right? So I get on there, and I'm sitting on this subway car. And I watch, I watch all the other nine people get up and they, they share a gospel message and I see them get mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. And I'm like, yep, ain't gonna do that. 
And so I was riding this, this thing for probably 45 minutes to an hour, and Jeremy makes his way over to, to my car, and he, and he says, hey, uh, we're getting off at the next stop. This is your last chance. This is your last chance. If you want to do this thing, like, like now's the time to do it because we're getting off at the next stop. And I thought, great, awesome. Like so glad to get off of this and be done with this, right? Uh, but the spirit of God had a different plan, right? Like just inside, he was like, you're gonna get up and you're gonna preach the gospel. And I'm saying, no, I'm not, right? Like I'm gonna quench the spirit right here, trying everything I can do to just say, absolutely not, not gonna be that guy. Like, no way, nope, not gonna do it. Uh, but the spirit won. Spirit one, I get up, I share some stupid little message about how, oh man, Jesus loves you or something, like 30, 20, 30 second thing, sit down, immediately getting laughed at, getting mocked, getting ridiculed, and I'm thinking to myself, you idiot, like you're so stupid, like why would you do, I told you you were gonna get laughed at. But there was one guy on that subway car, never made eye contact with me, but he gets up and he moves over and he sits next to me. He takes his headphones out and he says, man, I, I want you to tell me more about this gospel. He says, I'm a motivational speaker and I give people hope every day. He's like, but, I, but my, I'm dry, right? Like I have no hope. I, have, I, I can't motivate myself. I need that gospel. And he's like, the reality is I was contemplating suicide this morning and I needed that message. And in that moment, my eyes were open. That, that moment was the catalyst that propelled me into a greater pursuit of Jesus Christ. See, I was a follower of Jesus for 10 years, but it was in that moment that God said, I want you to be my disciple. And so wherever you are in your walk with Jesus today, my hope and prayer is that you would realize that God is calling you to something greater. God is calling you to something greater. And in our scripture here this morning, we're gonna see that there are three groups of people who are in pursuit of Jesus. There are followers, there are disciples, and there are apostles. And what I hope to do this morning is to help you figure out where you are in your walk with Jesus and where you need to go. Because the reality is that God is calling you to something greater. God is not content with where you are in your walk with Jesus. And so with your Bibles open to Luke chapter six, let's go ahead and start in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." And just for context, let's, let's look at verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Father in heaven, God, uh, we're thankful for your word. God, we're thankful that you've called us to something greater. 
Uh, Lord, I just pray that you be with us this morning, that you would teach us through your word. God, you give me clear thoughts and articulate words here this morning. God, it's all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, point number one is this. Jesus had many followers. Jesus had many followers. We see this right there in verse 17. There's a huge multitude of people from all over the place. And you can imagine in a crowd this size, right? Like he doesn't say, hey, there were 30 people or hey, there was 100 people or hey, there was a thousand. No, he's like, man, this was a, a massive multitude of people from all over the region. This was a huge crowd of people. And you can imagine in a crowd this size that somebody was probably like looking at all these kids running around was like, hey, we need like a his kids ministry or something, right? Uh, and so you, you, and you, you like you're gonna go, you're gonna go launch that his kids ministry and take care of them kids. I'm sure somebody was like, hey, uh, these Pharisee guys, they're they're trying to like get Jesus. So so we should probably start up like a security team or a safety team. And you guys are huge, so why don't you go knock that out, right? There was probably uh, someone there making coffee. I'm sure in a ministry of Jesus size, somebody was making coffee, right? Right, because you can't do ministry, you can't worship Jesus without coffee. And so they're like, we need a first impressions team. We need some people to be like, hey, you're gonna welcome all these new people. There are probably smaller groups of people that say, hey, you're gonna go hang out with those guys and you're gonna hang out with those guys and you're gonna talk about what Jesus was talking about, right? I'm sure there had to be some sort of organization to this thing. Jesus' ministry was growing. The number of people was growing day by day. There were tons of people who were following Jesus. And yet Luke makes the distinction between the crowd of Jesus' disciples and the multitude of people who were following him. There's a difference between a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. The text is clear. There were huge amounts of people who are following Jesus faithfully day in and day out who are not his disciples. They might have been regular attenders, maybe even serving regularly, but they weren't disciples of Jesus. They claimed the name Christian, but again, not disciple. And so my question this morning to you is, are you a follower or are you a disciple? And I know that you can't answer that question just yet because you don't know what the difference is. And so we're gonna unpack that here this morning and figure out what is a follower and what is a disciple and what is an apostle and, and, and where are you in that process? So what is a follower? How should we define this term? This week, I, I did my best to try to figure out how to explain this in the easiest, most simplistic way. And so here's my definition for us this morning. Up on the screen, a follower is someone who believes and serves Jesus, but who's not ready to leave behind everything to make him a priority. A follower is someone who believes and serves Jesus, but who's not ready to leave behind everything in order to make him a priority. Now, listen, I was this guy for 10 years. All right, so, so, so like I know what it's like, all right? So let's look at the, at the life and faith of a follower of Jesus. You see, a follower believes in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is who he says that he was. They believe he's God, that they believe he's the only way to salvation. 
right? They, they, they believe in who Jesus says that he is. They also serve Jesus, right? Like this was me, right? Like as a faithful little Baptist kid, right? Like it was like, okay, you need help in VBS? Yeah, I'm your man. I, I got you. All right, you need help in the youth? Yeah, I got you. I'll do that. Faithful follower of Jesus, believed in Jesus, served Jesus, but a follower is not yet a disciple of Jesus. As is often the case, we see all throughout the gospels that people were following Jesus, but they weren't ready to make the commitment to become his disciples. Like the rich young ruler in Luke 18, the follower is, ready to, is not ready to give up everything in order to become a disciple of Jesus. We see Jesus teaching on this several times in his ministry. In Luke 9, 62, he says, Jesus says to uh, 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 somebody, him, it says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Like this was me, right? Like believed in Jesus, willing to serve Jesus, have my hand on the plow, but I was constantly looking back at my old life. I still want to go do this. I still want to try this. I still want to, right? right? Like, like not ready to leave my, my old life in order to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. Believed in Jesus, served in Jesus, not ready to make him a priority. See, the follower of Jesus likes the idea of Jesus. For the follower, Jesus just fits really well into my existing life. Nothing really has to change. I was talking to a guy a few weeks back and, and, and in our conversation, it came up that I was a pastor at the church and he was like, oh man, I love the church. Uh, that's my church. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't get to make it to Sunday very often. Sunday's my only day off, so I don't get to make it there that often. I know it's shameful and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, that's not, not a big deal. I was like, we got, you know, I'm the, I'm the community group's pastor uh, here at the church. And so I'm sure we can get you connected to a community group sometime during the week. And he was like, oh yeah, that would be nice. But you know, I, I work 12 hour days and from seven to seven, I just don't, by the time I get home, I just eat, I go to sleep and do it again. So I'm, I just don't think I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to uh, make time for that. Believes in Jesus, claims the name Christian, but just can't seem to find time in his schedule for Jesus. Sunday's his only day off. After all, he works 12-hour days, six days a week, so community groups out of the question, just not willing to make Jesus the priority of his life. The cost is too great. Career is too important. That paycheck is too important. That overtime is too important. Vacation is too important. That house on the hill is just too important, right? That $60,000 car in the driveway is just too important. Family is just too important, right? Kids getting straight A's is just too important. Making sure my kids go to college is just too important. The cost is too great. There's just not enough time in the follower of Jesus's life for Jesus. What about you? 
Maybe it's not work, maybe it's not career or overtime, but what is it? What is keeping you from making Jesus the priority of your life? See, every disciple, here's the good news, every disciple starts as a follower of Jesus. Every disciple starts as a follower of Jesus. And this is good news, right? Like it takes time for God to change our desires, to change our perspectives, to change our identities. It takes time. Like we realize that. The good news is that if you're in this room today and and you're listening to what I'm saying, you're like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, definitely follower. He's definitely not the priority of my life. Like, listen, that's okay. Like you're, the good news is like, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Like you are one step away from becoming a disciple of Jesus. The problem is that 80% of professing Christians never leave the follower phase. 80% of professing Christians never leave the follower phase. Like Pastor Ernie preached a few weeks ago, they just wear them like a badge. They claim the title, but they never own the position. When you look at our country today and you see that 65% of Americans claim to be Christian and you look at our country and you're like, "How how is that? Right, like, like this country looks more like Rome than it does the kingdom of God. But I'm convinced that the follower of Jesus knows that God has called them to something greater. I'm convinced that you know that God has called you to something greater. And this leads me to point number two, Jesus had fewer disciples. He had many followers, but he had fewer disciples. We see this in verse 13. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. I think oftentimes we think that Jesus only had 12 disciples. That's not, that's not true. He called from his crowd of disciples, 12 men to be not disciples, apostles. And so Jesus had quite a few disciples. We see in verse 17 that he stood on a level place with his apostles and with a great crowd of his disciples. I think this distinction requires us to define what a disciple is. Again, what is the difference between a follower and a disciple? And so I did my best to try to come up with a definition for disciple. I tried to put it in one sentence with a few words, but I just couldn't get there. And so this is a mouthful. Uh, and so uh, I apologize for that, but, but whatever. This is, this is the best I could come up with. A disciple is a student of Christ who actively imitates both the life and teaching of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into his image and character. A disciple is a student of Christ who actively imitates both the life and teaching of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into his image and character. See, the disciple knows that they're called to something greater. They aren't content with just following Jesus. They're not content with status quo Christianity. They're not content with just showing up on Sunday and serving here and there. No, a disciple lives and breathes Jesus. Like they want to be Jesus. They want to live like Jesus lived. They want to know what Jesus knew. And so they do everything in their power to pursue that by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
A disciple of Jesus has considered the cost. They recognized it may cost them their relationships. It might cost them their careers. It might even cost them their lives. But when they, when they consider the cost of discipleship, they recognize that the cost of discipleship pales in, compar- in comparison to the eternal riches of the kingdom of God. And so what does the disciple do? The disciple lives and breathes the word of God. The disciple lives and breathes the word of God. For the disciple of Jesus, all truth is found in the word. It is sufficient. It is life-giving. It is the authoritative truth for all believers across all time, for all humanity across all time. They know this. And so they devote their lives to knowing and understanding the word of God. The disciple is not content with verse of the day. Right? You think that the verse of the day is gonna carry you through the day. You, you, I'm sorry, but that ain't gonna happen, right? Like the disciple knows that they need to live and breathe, like, like literally take it and like consume it. Disciples are masters and skilled purveyors of the word of God. Not only does a disciple live and breathe the word of God, but a disciple of Jesus also lives and breathes in prayer. See, disciples of Jesus know and understand that prayer is to their life what water is to a fish, right? They they live it, they breathe it. And so the disciple of Jesus, they don't just settle for good thoughts about God as they brush their teeth before bed. The disciple of Jesus doesn't just settle for good thoughts about God as they're getting dressed in the morning. No, the disciple of Jesus spends time in prayer with their God, like Jesus out on the mountain all night in prayer. Right, the disciple looks at that and doesn't doesn't say, I don't know if I could ever do that. No, a disciple looks at that and says, I wanna be that. The disciple of Jesus knows that if they do not pray, they will suffocate and die. And that very thought strikes fear into the heart of the disciple. Trust me when I say disciples of Jesus are men and women of prayer. And finally, the disciple of Jesus finds their identity in him. Disciples are defined by their new life in Christ. That means that the past doesn't get to define me, right? Like adverse childhood experiences, like that doesn't get to define who I am, right? Like what my daddy said doesn't get to define who you are. That diagnosis you have, that doesn't define you. You are not the sum of your diagnosis. That career, that doesn't define you. Social media, that doesn't define you. Worldly standards of beauty, that doesn't define you. No, the disciple of Jesus knows that their identity is firmly planted in the soil of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I think the distinction between disciples and followers is clear. And I think we can rightly say that all disciples are followers, but not all followers are disciples. I think we can rightly say that all disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. So my question is, will you commit to becoming a disciple today? Will you commit to becoming a disciple today? And finally, point number three, Jesus had even fewer apostles. He had many followers, he had fewer disciples, and he had even fewer apostles. Now, let me just disclaimer here because when I use that term apostle, uh, this is a term that has caused like, like theological wars uh, in the church over the history of like the past thousands of years, right? Like, to, like, like are there apostles today or aren't there apostles today? And there's some people who are like, if you say that I can be an apostle, I'm gonna punch you in the throat, right? And, and, and so I think it's important for us to define what an apostle is. And I think in order to do that, we have to understand the historical context of what an apostle is. See, Jesus didn't create this word. Like this isn't a word that Jesus was like, I'm gonna create a new word in the Roman language, right? In, in Greek or whatever. And we're gonna use that, like this brand new word. Uh, I'm calling you 12 guys, you're apostles. Like that's not what happened, right? The, the, like the word apostle, like Rome had been sending apostles before Jesus was born. Rome had been sending apostles before Jesus was born. Whenever Rome would capture a new territory, the emperor would send his apostle to that territory in order to make that territory look and feel like Rome. So, so, so the apostle, what they did was they changed the culture of the territory, the currency, the language, the laws, like everything changed all of it to look like Rome, right? The apostle didn't write new laws. The emperor did that, but the, uh, but the apostle went with the emperor's authority and his law and, and his culture, and they established it in that new territory so that anywhere you went that was under Roman control, you could know that that place looked and felt like Rome. Before a Roman could be an apostle, he first had to become a disciple. He had to know the culture, the language, the law. Ultimately, he had to know the heart and mind of the emperor better than anybody else. When the, uh, when the Roman apostle spoke, you heard the emperor speak. One Roman apostle was quoted as saying, I change culture, I change people, I change currency, I change language, I change behavior, and I change the very heart of a man to be Roman. That's what an apostle does. And that's the meaning that's packed behind the word that Jesus chose for those 12 guys. The word that Jesus chose to adopt and use was intentional. And each of those 12 guys would have known exactly what Jesus was asking of them. And so here's our working definition of apostle in the broad sense, again, not, not specific, like, but, but whatever. In the broad sense, generally, an apostle is someone who is sent by Christ's authority to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. 
An apostle is someone who is sent by Christ's authority to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And so with that definition in place, then what does an apostle of Jesus do? I think they represent Christ wherever they go. They represent Christ wherever they go. They represent him in authority. They represent him in message. They represent him in influence. Armed with the complete and final word of God, the apostle takes that gospel into new territory, into new families, into new neighborhoods, into new towns, into new countries and states. An apostle lives and acts and speaks in such a way that it models and influences kingdom culture to the people he or she is ministering to. So apostles represent Christ. Apostles also establish Christ's church. They establish Christ's church in doctrine, in theology, and in culture. Apostles teach newfound followers and disciples about the culture and lifestyle of Jesus. How we should live, how we should behave, how we should speak, how we should spend our time, what type of husbands and fathers we should be, what type of mothers and wives we should be, what type of children we should be, what type of sexual ethic we should have, what type of recreation we should be a part of. This is what an apostle does. They establish Christ's church and doctrine and theology and culture. And they also make disciples. See, an apostle knows that for the kingdom of God to advance, they will need to make whole disciples of Jesus. The apostle knows that those disciples will eventually become apostles to help move the kingdom forward by the commission of Christ. See, the reality is that these 12 guys, they're not alive anymore. So who's gonna take the gospel into the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that? It's apostles. So the apostle understands the necessity and the urgency of holistic discipleship. They understand that in order to be an effective apostle, you have to be transformed in heart and in mind. You have to bleed kingdom culture. You have to think kingdom thoughts. You got to breathe kingdom air. You got to live kingdom life. Apostles understand that disciples need to know their Bibles better than anyone else in the room. They need to understand biblical doctrine and theology better than anybody else in the room. They need to live and act and speak in ways that promote the kingdom of God. uh, Apostles know the importance of making disciples. And listen to me, this is not a call for super Christians. This is not a call for those who are just somehow anointed to some higher standard of Christianity. Like that's not the case, right? Remember, I was a follower of Jesus for 10 years, just dinking around. If you would have told me In 2008, that I was going to be a pastor preaching the word of God, I would have laughed at you. Like, it ain't going to happen. I could barely get words out when I had to present some type of research in high school. The call is not for super Christians. This is the call for us. 
And finally, the apostle expands Christ's church. The apostle takes all of this into new places, into countries that have never heard, into towns that have never heard, and cities that have never heard, neighborhoods that have never heard, households that have never heard. Apostles take ground. Apostles move the kingdom of Christ forward. Apostles change the course of nations. They change the course of history. They're game changers and world shakers. Apostles have nothing and still they have everything. Apostles live and move and have their being in Christ and this is why they're effective. They move when God moves and they speak when God speaks. They're poor in spirit and yet they have the spirit of God dwelling in them. They have no wisdom of their own and yet they possess all the wisdom of God himself. Apostles have no life of their own yet they have life abundantly. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. My question to you disciples in this room is this, will you own the apostolic commission of God? Will you own the apostolic commission of God? This is clear in Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded of you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a call for apostles. So what do we do with all of this? the next step I think first if you're just a seeker or a skeptic in the room maybe you you're not quite following Jesus even now commit to giving Jesus a chance get involved try following him around for a while try getting plugged into a community group and get to know some of God's people If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, commit to becoming a disciple. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, commit to becoming a disciple. It's time for you to know your Bible. It's time for you to be a man or a woman of prayer. It's time for you to own the life that God has called you to live, to build your life around him. And if you don't know how to do that, chances are you know someone in this church that does. So reach out to that person and ask them to teach you how to be a disciple. If you're a man in this room, reach out to a godly man that you respect and ask him to teach you how to be a disciple. If you're a woman in this room, reach out to a godly woman that you know and ask them to teach you how to be a disciple. Remember, 80% of professing Christians will never leave the follower face. Don't let that be you today. If you're a disciple in this room, commit to owning the apostolic call. You know your Bible. You live the life that Christ has called you to live. It's time for you to teach somebody else how. It's time for you to teach somebody else how to do it. That might mean serving in the kids or the youth ministry and mentoring the next generation of disciples. It might mean you uh, getting involved in the men's or the women's ministry and teaching men or women how to be disciples of Jesus. It might mean you leaving your community group, the comfort of your community group and starting one in your own neighborhood. 
right? Instead of driving down the street to somebody else's neighborhood to get what you already have. For some of you, that might mean leaving the comfort of your home, your career, or this community to take the church to a place that doesn't have one. Finally, if you're an apostle in this room, do not grow weary. Listen, the work is hard, I know. And the reality is that the sheep bite, right? Like anybody think that the sheep don't bite, you're gonna get bit. But listen, God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever, your refuge in times of trouble. God's not finished with you yet. There's more ground to take. And so if you're feeling weary, yoke up with the God of all strength and all power. It's in him that he works in and through you and he is always enough. God has called you something greater. Will you pursue it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, just so thankful for, God, just your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness to us, Lord. God, we thank you that you just, you don't leave us where we're at, Lord, but that you, you've called us to something greater. And so we thank you for that, Lord. God, be with the men and women in this room. God, go before them, bless them in your name. Amen.